Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every episode we sit down with one of our favorite comedians to discuss one of our favorite subjects and then trace the history to find out where it all went off the rails. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Wen Powers. Wen, how you doing? Man, I am doing fantastic. So we're getting a little late start on this episode. You're listening at whatever time you're going to listen to it anyways. We've had some technical difficulties, but we've gone through and we've figured out all the bits that like we've been doing behind each other's backs since we haven't yeah. actually been hanging out <laughs> in like a bunch of months. And like now I'm going to make like a bit binder of just like all the dumb little jokes that we need to do when we're actually able to hang out in bars again. I feel like we've come up with like three to four different episodes just in the 45 minutes it took us to try and get the sound right on this episode. We've got bits. We've got Andrew Lloyd Webber. There was a lot covered here. We're just going to release this video as like a premiere subscriber kind of thing. We have had like people ask about musical episodes and like during us riffing, we got on Andrew Lloyd Webber and it made me so mad that now I have to go find somebody to record an Andrew Lloyd Webber episode with. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen. So listeners, that is in your future. Uh, and uh, this is also our Thanksgiving episode. We're recording this. God, I have no idea what the date is today, but it's almost Thanksgiving. It's, it's the 19th. And yeah, this is our Thanksgiving episode. I don't know why I'm telling you this. As Wen said, you can listen whenever you want. We don't have that control over you. But we are joined by our fantastic guest. She is my co-host on Cabin Fever Comedy. You may have seen her work featured in BuzzFeed and HuffPo. You can follow her on It's Nash Flynn on Instagram and Twitter. And she has a new podcast coming out in January, Unquarantining History. Nash Flynn, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I am good. Getting ready for Thanksgiving? I mean, it's not a holiday I typically celebrate too much. Well, we are so glad to have you on for this episode then. That was a fantastic choice and something that maybe you didn't could have told us ahead of time. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very fascinated by historically. I know. I mean, look, and we cover a lot of where it went wrong. That's what the whole show is about. You don't you don't have to love it. You just have to love to hate it. We're about to talk everybody else into not celebrating Thanksgiving. Yeah. So truly... <laughs> Truly, it's the perfect guest. <laughs> but we did get Nash in because Nash has her graduate degree in history focusing on Deathways. Nash, tell us a little bit about that. So Deathways is a relatively new field. Uh, it falls sort of in between anthropology and history and archaeology, but it's basically focused on understanding a culture through how it practices and mourns its people. So funerary rites are a big part of this. Actual extant burials are a big part of it. Wills, pretty much anything as it relates to dying, mourning celebrating it's pretty cool no it sounds very cool and obviously if we're doing history of thanksgiving history of, of pilgrims puritans there's a lot to cover here and a lot of death this sounds like a like a goth indiana jones and i love it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it does get real dark like a temple of doom indiana jones where it's like dark a temple of doom but but he's just like oh what's he's got, he's got that goth makeup on and just wearing all heavy black he can't escape because he's got like the thing with all the chains around it oh he still fights with his dad though if anything the fights yeah. with his dad are worse <laughs> it's his stepdad now but yeah <laughs> <laughs> so when how about you start us off 
with some of the background before all the death, before the Puritans and Pilgrims came over. Well, let's get into what are the Puritans. To figure out what the Puritans are, you kind of have to go into the schism that occurred when Henry VIII separated from the Catholic Church to make the Church of England. There's so much to do about Henry VIII, because here's the thing. Henry VIII, in like our own like modern fiction, like historical fiction, is made out to be like the most fuckable man on the planet. Smoking hot. Can't and, believe it. Like to the point that I'm thinking that we're being paid by Henry VIII to make this art. Yeah. Like, he used to commission art to be like, hey guys, I my dick's big. And like the painters would be like, fine, just don't kill that me. That was a real thing, like, guys. There's that a was, real but no, yeah. you can find that painting. It's an actual thing. And so like now we like we're so far removed. He can't hurt us anymore. Why do we make him so fuckable in all these iterations? Like the Tudors, he didn't look like that. Henry VIII didn't have an eight pack. That's ridiculous. He was fat. He was fat to show he knew where the food was coming from. Which is, is not fat shaming. We're okay with it. It's but he's not embracing it. It was the beauty standard of the day. I'm not saying it's bad, but why are we acting? It's like Henry Cavill and his buddies hanging out. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so Puritans and Pilgrims, he's created the Church of England and everyone's like, I guess. Yeah. So what happened was Henry VIII wanted to divorce his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Basically, she was not siring him male sons. And he was just like, this is your fault, even though that's not true. And so he went to the Pope. He went to his good buddy, the Pope. And he's like, hey, bro, can I get divorced? And the Pope's like, can't do it, man. He's like, fuck you. I'm making my own church where I'm Pope. And like, (laughs) everyone's like, can he do that? And he's like, he's king. He kind of can do that. So he forms the Church of England. And while he's there, he's also like, by the way, all this Catholic land, that's Church of England land now. And everyone's like, kind of fine with it. Like it's a schism, but like not like, a super bloody one. Like the Catholic church kind of just goes, Hey, fuck you, man. And then they don't do anything about it. And Henry VIII has the church of England. Now he has all the land. He gets married several times, kills several wives. And everyone's kind of like standing there and just be like, cool, new church. And they're like, it's still kind of Catholic-y. There's a lot of Catholic stuff still here. I'm Catholic. I can I can just be like, I, it's fine. Pretty much, they're just like, look, if we're going to break away from the Catholic Church, let's have our own traditions. Let's go just strictly with what the Bible says. We're only going to go with what the Bible says. We're not going to do any of these extra sacraments that you guys just kind of made up. And in response to that... Everyone was just like, check out these Puritans over here. Like the Puritans (laughs) was not the name they gave themselves. Puritans was a name that everyone was like calling them behind their backs to make fun of the fact that they like loved the Bible so much. It was a derogatory term. Right. And we've also got the the Pilgrims versus Puritans versus Separatist thing here, which they all kind of get merged together. They all get merged together. Pilgrims basically were just like, we are going to go away from the Church of England and do our own thing. The Puritans were like, no, we're still Church of England, but we're not going to do any of the stuff that makes it the Church of England. (laughs) It's just like, why are you here? It's participation trophy kind of work. It's like, yeah, we're going to show up and maybe get some of that great sacrament stuff. So at this point, they've kind of got to leave England and they go to, to Leiden, which is so religious tolerant. They're like, yeah, man, fuck it. Do whatever you want. We're cool with it. And the reason this is relevant is because they get this reputation for like, no, we just want religious freedom. That's why we came to America. They had religious freedom. What they didn't like was that their kids started getting kind of (laughs) Hollandish. They wanted them to be strict British. They wanted them to be their religion. And it had so much religious freedom that their kids were kind of figuring out their own stuff. So like, okay, well, we can't have this kind of religious freedom. We need the kind of religious freedom where it's only our religion. It's that kind of religious freedom we're looking for. So that is when they head to the Virginia Company. You got to realize this is super American already. It is. Like you can, <laughs> you can spot the Americanism from a mile away that this is just going to become a thing that they do forever. Right. <laughs> well, look, you can be religiously tolerant, but not culturally. They had a hard time overall. And, and yeah, but I mean, the problem was, was Holland was just cool with it. Holland was what Holland always is, just super chill. It's basically like that Austin Powers 3 joke where he's just like, look, there are two (laughs) things I hate in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. 
<laughs> now Austin Powers stole that from the from the pilgrims. Yeah, yeah, that was this is the basis of of America essentially. So yeah, so they go to the Virginia Company. Yeah, they go to the Virginia Company and they go, "Hey guys, can we start a colony in Virginia?" And the Virginia Company says, "Sure. Here's two boats." And they're like, "Great." And then one of those boats brings three leaks in a row. And they're like, "Hey guys, here's one boat." <laughs> Yeah, that, that was it. And they're like, okay, we've got the same number of people that we needed two boats for there. And like, okay, cool, but one boat. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make it work. So 102 Puritans, pilgrims, separatists, the words you want to use for them, they're all there. But 102 of them board the boat that you can name off the top of your head, the only boat you can probably name off the top of your head, the Mayflower. And then Andrew... What happened next? First of all, I'm focusing on this now because we did a Titanic episode and all I can think about is how many boats I might be able to name. But honestly, it's two. It's, it's two. two. It's <laughs> the Titanic and the Mayflower and now you're done. <laughs> I know. I was offended. I was like, I can name so many boats and I was capped out immediately. God, just you labeling boats like your Bubba from Forrest Gump. <laughs> just, just the rest of the episode. They arrive in America and this is where we're going to focus on where it went wrong in a minute. But first, I'm going to give you some Thanksgiving history because we've got the event that is called the first Thanksgiving. And we normally, here's the thing with history episodes. This show focuses on the things that we love. The problem is with a lot of history, it just all sucked. We love the family coming together part of Thanksgiving. Also, here's the other problem with history. 98% of the time, the part where it really went wrong is colonization, systemic racism. The other 2% of the time is anti-Semitism. And Thanksgiving is two out of three, baby. <laughs> uh, probably three out of three. It's just not recorded that they were being anti-Semitic like on the side. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, they were, that was still going on. It just wasn't the focus. <laughs> Isn't that called Christianity? I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Like, like somebody complained about the banks while they were there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're aware of what the actual worst part of this was because it was colonization. That that was the bad thing. We recognize the history of Thanksgiving is disturbing. We're focusing on the positive being the part, the very small part where you see family and eat turkey. But this is our show. We're going to give you the Thanksgiving history. So it is 1621, and this is where it's normally painted. And I love the episodes where it's like, here's the thing that you think you know about. It turns out all of it sucked. Those are my favorites. So <laughs> it's painted when you're a kid as like, cool, the pilgrims invited the native people over. And what actually happened was these colonists started firing off guns <laughs> and that that was it that was bad i shouldn't have laughed i shouldn't have yeah laughed. It just came, <laughs> they, uh, it just hit me out of left field i didn't expect it yeah d depending on your source this was a sport of some kind or a celebration depending on other sources this was blatant intimidation and then the native people the wampanoag show up with way more people than they expected so they're like cool you want to just have dinner <laughs> What a wimp move. Yeah. It's like starting a bar fight and the person actually turning around and be like, hey, man, can I get you a drink? Yeah. <laughs> Look, and here's the thing. This is painted as the first Thanksgiving, but the days of Thanksgiving were already a standard practice, primarily among Protestants, which was essentially a day of prayer for events believed to signal God's mercy and favor proclaimed by civil authority or the church. And this has been ordered in England as early as uh, 1009 CE. Uh, this started with Ethelred the Unready, which name came from a bit of a tortured pun. Like he wasn't actually unready and came like 150 years later. It always irked me. So this was like the earliest written record of it. But the counterpart to these days were days of humiliation. This is basically when things were, were so bad that everyone between the age of 16 and 60 was expected to spend the day fasting and attending church considering their sins, trying to figure out if they're the ones that have incurred God's wrath and are then, you know, supposed to repent until they're forgiven. I've got to be honest, that's just being depressed. Yeah, <laughs> we're all familiar. None of this is new. And then after that, something goes well and like, cool, we should have a Thanksgiving day because we already had so many of these humiliation days. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just, it sounds like a sex thing, but it's not a sex thing. It's not. <laughs> That's another thing with history. A lot of things sound like sex things. <laughs> Some things were. A lot yeah. of things were. <laughs> Here's the other thing with this too, is the, the Puritans had rejected traditional Christian holidays that were based on the liturgical calendar, which is like the, the Easter, Christmas, uh, all the saints days, because that's not in the Bible. But then they would have special days in response to current events when things are going well. But obviously things are going well in response to the seasons. So you end up having these seasonal celebrations the same way the pagans did. 
But they're like, no, this is our thing now. And it's not calendar based. This is different. This is don't put words in my mouth. (laughs) Just one God, sometimes three. We'll get into it later. (laughs) So, yeah, so they have one in spring. That's they they have one in, in fall and they've got the Thanksgiving days. But 1621, we call it the first Thanksgiving. Nobody calls it that until like the 1800s by the way, when they start getting nostalgic, which obviously we see happens all the time when we go back to a time that actually sucked and like, cool, wasn't this a great time? Let's take something from then. Like 50s diners today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that was worse. You just like hamburgers and chocolate milkshakes. You can get that now. You don't You don't have to get the embedded racism along with it. You can't hit on your waitress as well if it's not yeah. that. <laughs> you can't say toots as much. Yeah, that is the one change from 1950 that has been a negative. You don't get to say toots yeah that's it <laughs> so george washington makes a proclamation for again this isn't the thanksgiving as we know it. it's just like hey here's a day where we're gonna eat some food be thankful it's kind of just chill and then again kind of nothing until lincoln when everyone's just sad because there's a civil war and he's like you know what maybe we should be happy for a bit that's it this is i i want to get you guys to understand that the history of thanksgiving is not at all what we think it is none of it is tied to <laughs> anything yeah the pilgrims weren't just like hey this year went great let's do it again on the last thursday of this month every year it was mostly like lincoln being like everyone is so mad at me (laughs) oh god what if i what if i just said we can do a day where you eat as much as you want is that is that cool (laughs) and then like america was just like that is cool we're gonna do it every day but especially that day they've got the uh Grant signs a holiday act, but they've still got to do it like every year. They've got to announce it. It's not until 1939 when Roosevelt tries to move Thanksgiving a week earlier because this is the end of the Great Depression. And he's thinking this is going to bolster sales because at the time it's considered improper to have Thanksgiving sales and decorations out before Thanksgiving. So he's like, cool, let's let's move this a bit earlier. And people absolutely freak out over it. They cannot handle this. I mean, there's some stuff based around it. Football games are already based around this, which is a big thing when you start researching it. Like, no, you're going to make us change our football day. No. I support that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a big college football fan. If somebody was just like, guys, we're moving these to Wednesday, I'd riot. So I get why there was some apprehension here. And there there was, there was a schedule around it, but people went nuts. 16 states, and some sources say more, but 16 states outright refused to accept the change. Some states actually celebrated both, just a week apart. You had two Thanksgivings because, you know, nobody knew what to did. Roosevelt's challenger in the previous election, Alf Landon, said, if the change has any merit at all, more time should have been taken working it out instead of springing upon an unprepared country with the omnipotence of a Hitler. He said this in 1939. Wow. This is Hitler is just getting go. He's like, Hitler has just invaded Poland. And he's like, hey, you know what's equivalent to this? Moving Thanksgiving a week earlier. I'm just going to say, though, like that was the first instance in history, probably, where people were just like, Going straight to the Hitler well. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like a warmed over thing now. Every every time somebody tells you to do anything now, it's like, you're being Hitler. But this guy, like, <laughs> saw someone before Hitler was Hitler and was just like, you're being Hitler. And everyone was just like, I don't even know what that means. Are you talking about that guy in Germany? We don't care about world events. It's the 30s. <laughs> Perhaps in fairness, that was before Hitler was like, Hitlering, you know, what I mean, oh, like he wasn't. No, no, full- it was a lower scale Hitler. Like it was when, like, like you could probably say it, and people weren't just like, "That's a gross exaggeration." Like people were just like, "Okay, he was being a little iffy. He was being a little pushy <laughs> there." But like, still, to like, he started a grand tradition that proceeds on the internet to this day of just accusing the other side of being Hitler. And also, that guy lost that election when he's the <laughs> only one who saw Hitler was bad. This is like right when Hitler invaded Poland. Hitler has done one thing and he's like, this this is it. I mean, he was he was a visionary. Do we think he felt bad like after, like in a couple of years? He was like, I really shouldn't have that. This was like a thing where like he gets canceled two years later yeah. because it's like, oh, he made the, the Hitler thing. He didn't know it was gonna be that bad. I say that this guy is actually a visionary. I hope he didn't get into any trouble because to be able to like call your shot like your Babe Ruth to just like yeah. point to that guy <laughs> and be like, hey, guess what? That's the worst example of what a human can be. And they'd be like, he invaded a country. We kind of do that all the time. He's like, no, no, just watch. Like, he's just like, wait for it. (laughs) In a few years, you're going to lose your fucking mind about how good that burn was. (laughs) 
he uses this as an example when a person just invaded the country for a holiday that we're celebrating after we invaded a country. Yeah. And then made them have dinner with us. <laughs> and the big change here was just, no, man, we got to do it a week earlier. So they try this again for another year. In 1941, they all get to the, like, look, we're going to make it the fourth Thursday. People care about this so much, and none of us know why. So that is basically starts the Thanksgiving that, that we know about today. At this point, it really all comes together during World War II, because at this point, it's still mostly a Northeastern holiday. It's celebrated around, but that's where its start was. So the turkey was only in the Northeast. It was still ham or lamb or kind of anything around the country, except during World War II, everyone is served turkey. All the soldiers are served turkey overseas. So they start to bring this tradition back with them. Combine that with Norman Rockwell's Freedom from Want, which is printed uh, in the Saturday Evening Post in 1943, with this is like the quintessential American family, which is that, you know, the grandmother's serving the turkey. And this is it. This is when Thanksgiving switches gears to the kind of Thanksgiving we have today and start washing over all of the history. So we're going to get to all of the history. Nash, what happened in 1621? Nash, please tell us, where did it go wrong? You got to say the title of the show, Andrew. You got to say it. I know. It's, it's got, got amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month according to Comscore. Total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. And that's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on our season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Nash, please tell us, where did it go wrong? You gotta say the title of the show, Andrew. You gotta say it. I know, it's, it's got, got sl- amateur hour. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to back us up just a little bit to 1620, just to get started. They get the approval from the Virginia company. They're about to leave England in two ships, the Mayflower and the Speedwell. The Speedwell has a leak, so they back up. Then it has another leak, so they back up again. They make it just a little bit outside of Plymouth, England, when the Speedwell springs its third leak, which later historians were like, that leak was definitely intentional. (laughs) (laughs) crew on the speedwell was like no we are not taking this on a mid-atlantic trip with a leaky boat so they actually sprung the leak on purpose that's amazing and also like if i had to be on a boat with a bunch of puritans for like a year i get it yeah you don't want it's a good plan except now they're just on a tighter boat (laughs) not if your crew of the speedwell just (laughs) just drilling holes in your boat (laughs) so they shove 102 people onto the mayflower And then the 30 crew of the Mayflower, and they all set sail for America. What I love about the number 102 
is that they get to the coast of America with 102 people, which is very impressive for an Atlantic trip of that time. However, they did have someone die. One of the physicians fell overboard in a storm in the middle of the ocean and died. But about a week later, a baby was born. So they were like, we made it with everyone. And it's like, well, you didn't. Circle of life. I didn't know you could do that. As long as the number stays the same, that counts as a full voyage. You made it. They were like, the physician is just younger than he was. (laughs) He Benjamin buttoned this entire trip. It's called reincarnation. (laughs) Is that what we believe? No, we'll kill you if you say that again. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We just have 102 people and that's all that matters. Yeah. So the first half of the journey, it was fine. They were supposed to leave in July. They leave in September. So they were a little bummed about that. But the first half of the journey was fine. They make it to about halfway between England and the US. When they have these really bad storms, their doctor dies. It gets really, really stormy the whole time they're getting close to the coast. Because of the storms, because of the late arrival to the coast, they actually had been aiming for Virginia. They landed right outside of Cape Cod, and they were like, fuck. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) We can't afford this place. (laughs) Also, they're off the coast. They were like, oh, God, we're running out of everything. We should probably head to Virginia where we actually legally own the land. But what if instead we just... The 41 men aboard the ship just drew up a document that gave us legal right to the land. And so that's what they did. Is it any more valid than the original plan? <laughs> right. Either way, this is is land that is being stolen from the native people. Like, either way, the native people weren't going to be like, hey, hey, you're supposed to be over there. <laughs> they're going to be like, either way, they're going to be pissed. Yeah. Rightfully. Right. So they're off the coast. It's November. Everything's getting dark and cold. England is actually protected by the Gulf Stream. So it's it stays a lot warmer and a less snowy over there, even though we're sort of like on the same hemisphere. So they weren't totally prepared for what they were walking into anyway. So they're floating off the coast of Cape Cod. And they were like, we don't really own this land, but we'll just drop this document. It's called the Mayflower Contract. It will just be about us as gentlemen agreeing that we're going to be nice to one another. And that should cover us, I think, legally in court. <laughs> yeah. And but to be clear, it's just the one another part. They have also come to America because they want to convert the native people to their religion. Again, the religious freedom is very much about you're free to experience our religion. So this document is just for these 102 people. Yes. Oh, it's actually just for the men. Just for the men. Just for these like 40 people. Yeah. So it's literally, I think it had 41 signers. We start sucking right away is the point. Yes. I'm just saying 102 people, they intentionally stacked the deck for themselves to be like, guys, we're going to bring 102, most of them ladies. It's 41 guys, 61 women. You do the math. <laughs> Bunch of kids. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that. we didn't factor in the kids. That, that's okay. The numbers are still skewed, but probably still in the guy's favor. Fair enough. Yes. Oh, yeah. There weren't actually a ton of children. Yeah. There's the baby that showed up on the boat and everyone was just like, where's his passport? And then they had a good laugh. Uh, <laughs> it's the doctor he's fine <laughs> and there is some debate as to whether or not it was actually plymouth right some of the records i found have said that they didn't define this as plymouth rock until like a hundred years later when some guys like oh yeah there was a story about how they landed this rock and they're like this is good marketing we're gonna say we landed at plymouth rock okay so here's some um nash flynn biographical information i love it i am actually from plymouth massachusetts yes I'm, i did not know this and this is very valuable <laughs> Now, now you know it. it's on the pod, um, and I am legally here to tell you you cannot say that. <laughs> can't say it because it's not true, or can't say it because you're from, from Plymouth? Well, okay, so I'm not being paid by the town of Plymouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. <laughs> we weren't taught to perpetuate this lie in perpetuity yeah. <laughs> as the residents of this town. Everyone who was ever born in Plymouth gets a check in the mail every month. <laughs> it's just like, keep it going. Keep up the charade. <laughs> it is question though, right? Yes, yes. It definitely was not Plymouth Beach at all. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all we know is that the landmass was inside of the Cape. So they they docked near Provincetown originally. So the boat is floating off sides of Cape Cod on the inside. Nash is pointing, by the way, as, as if we are able to tell when she, her hand moves slightly north. It's like, oh, I see, because I know where Provincetown is in Plymouth. In relation to this point, I'm aware of what's happening. Andrew, you're roasting her for this, but I talk with my hands the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just like close your eyes and envision my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Look at a map of Massachusetts, I guess. <laughs> Just feel me pointing to you. So they're floating there and 
the gentlemen on board are like, well, somebody has to do some scouting. But they were convinced, rightly so, that there was a Native American tribe reasonably close. Part of the reason that they knew that was because that we'd been here before. This was not the first landfall that people had made in the Americas in this area. Right. This wasn't just fantastic guessing. Yes. You know, as cultures who decimate the records of the indigenous people tend to do. Right. We just guess later. (laughs) It's fantastic. This is what we have archaeology for. Yeah. So they knew that there were indigenous people here. They just weren't sure what tribe. So they sent a scouting party. And the scouting party gets off the Mayflower, takes a little scully boat to the shore. And immediately after they arrive on shore, the tides start to come in and they can't get back out. So these gentlemen, probably suffering from scurvy, you know, just the boat crazies. They're on land in an unfamiliar place. They're walking funny because they've been on a boat for a year. (laughs) Yeah, they're not in a good spirit or like a good place emotionally. So they get to shore. They get stuck. They spend the night wet, like sort of on the coast. They didn't really want to go too far into the woods because they weren't sure who lived there and they didn't really have a whole ton of artillery. William Bradford, who became the governor of Plymouth later, would actually go on to say, this is where he thinks things went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this moment. Wait, wait, here is my level of survival skill. Nash is saying that they've got the little boat. They're wet. All I could think is, yeah, why don't you just, just turn the boat over? You live under a boat now. You're safe. <laughs> That's a hermit crab strategy, Andrew. You have the survival skills of a hermit crab. <laughs> And they are killing it. They're actually not. Hermit crabs are dying so fast. I'm sorry, that's a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) Right, they don't do my plan of turning the boat over. Instead, they're just cold and wet. And I feel like I could have helped here, but nobody asked. They actually go into the woods just a little looking for something to eat because they're starving to death and they've been on a boat for a long time. This is a comedy show, by the way. And you invited a death ways story. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm reminding the audience here that this is going to perk up any second now. Once again, Andrew pitched you to me as goth Indiana Jones. I don't, <laughs> there is no hat, no whip. Yeah. <laughs> so people are dying, Nash. Continue. <laughs> okay, so this is where he cites it as, this is where it went wrong. So they go on shore, they start to wander through some of the land that is near them, and they find a couple graves that first night. So we're getting worse now instead of better. That's fine. In a horror movie, when you find graves, that's when you go back to the boat. (laughs) Right. This is a good time to leave. Yes. This would have been fine. So it was like they didn't get haunted or anything. Like this this is not where that story is going. You don't know. We we don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that Wen and I immediately hit indignation on that. (laughs) We're both just like, there were probably ghosts. Don't say there weren't ghosts. Probably some ghosts. Come on. do have William Bradford's records from this time. So he he actually wrote of Plymouth Plantation, which is our closest. He didn't write it till 1640. So I guess he could have just lied about the ghosts. And he's the only record too, right? For some of it. Edward Winslow is also here and he writes on and off. Um, he was corresponding a lot with England. So we'll see Mort's relation pop up in a couple of years, which is another source that we use for this time, which is some of Edward Winslow's writings plus Edward Morton. Edward, very popular name. I know. (laughs) There were like four names at this time. (laughs) Yeah, they're just names and occupations, and you just mix them up to make a full name. Yeah. This is why during the Witch Trials episode, like, everyone was named Sarah. It was, we didn't even remember, we just had to guess. Was it Sarah? Yeah, it was probably Sarah. (laughs) This was Edward now. Yes, it's Edward or it's William. So Bradford starts writing this in the 40s. 1640s, not 1940s, because that would be insane. Then we definitely have yeah. ghosts. <laughs> and so he he talks about this moment as being the the moment that it went wrong. So they're they're out there, they're looking at graves. They find a couple. They don't disturb two of them, but the third one actually looks like it has food in it. They take the food. It gets worse. It does. And also remember, these are these super religious people. Like this is Nash's specialty. Please tell us why this was insane that they would do this. Okay. So deathways as a practice actually is a fascinating approach to understanding how cultures relate to one another and change and influence one another. Because what you have is archaeological evidence in situ, which means it's it's where they placed it, that shows how cultures impact one another in a moment in time. This is why Indiana Jones was so pissed when stuff wasn't in museums. Right. Even though he really shouldn't have been very pro-museum. I know. <laughs> Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's fine. So when we talk about 
how we understand the relationship developing between the indigenous people, the Wampanoag here, and the English settlers, we can see some of the changes that happen over their barrows, and not just between these two particular clashes, but how the colonization of the Americas is changing indigenous people's burial rights. Um, so before 1620, about 1616 to 1619, actually, the Wampanoag tribe that was in this area, coupled with the Massachusetts tribe that lived near Boston and the Narragansett of Rhode Island, they were hit by a plague. It was very, 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 very bad here. Can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So historians aren't really sure whether it was the Black Death or whether it was smallpox. There aren't a whole lot of medical records for us to be like, hey, what did you guys die of? But it's still the stuff that we brought over from Europe. Yes, for sure. Classic. The, later, historians would actually call this biological warfare, even though we didn't really know we were doing it. So they start to die like extremely over those three years. The tribes get get really reduced down. So the Wampanoag people were hit particularly hard. I believe that the figure is about two thirds, although it's really, really hard to put a number on. So they were hurting pretty bad at 1620 when the settlers landed at Plymouth. So they themselves were actually trying not to engage at all. They were sort of hanging back and being like, well, we hope they didn't come to kill us because we don't have a whole lot left. So it took a little while for them to actually make contact. But the problem with going through somebody's burials or death ways is that it looks really shitty for you. Yeah, it is really shitty for you. If you're stealing shit from graves, you're the bad guy. I think like right. as a society, we have made like a decision that it has to be like at least a several hundred years. And then like, you can just kind of fuck around with graves as much as you want. We're monsters. You got to do it carefully at that point. But like, there's freshly laid food out there and they're just like jackpot. <laughs> it's actually a really uncomfortable question for some archaeologists about how long you have to wait before a burying ground is archaeology versus grave digging. <laughs> I'm actually curious because like, there's an amount of time where it's like, okay guys, now this is science and you're not being a, <laughs> fucking freak yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did go to a comedy show once where a guy had this big box of liquor and did not tell us this when he handed out the liquor that he worked at a funeral home and they were just gonna bury it with the guy and he thought it was too much to bury with someone and took it and i feel like that was too soon before he was actually put in the ground i feel like archaeology is on my side here archaeology is um i think what is generally understood is about 50 to 100 years depending on the culture and depending on where you are i think 50 is too short i think 50 if i can just be like <laughs> where's grandma when i go to visit i think that's i think at that point you're just like this is kind of fucked up it's yeah. got to be longer than 50. <laughs> I have to not be able to name that person and like be able to visually picture them in my head holding me. That's my rule. I feel like that's a good standard, a completely non-scientific standard, but I'm on one <laughs> side. I feel like that works. If I can remember them, then no. Well, so then you run into, in modern society, what becomes, you know, legally or like exhuming a body becomes sort of a medical. Right. Basically, if you dust stuff off, it counts as science. I feel like that's the defining line. If you've got like one of those tiny brushes, when you're there, it's no longer great robbing. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, for us, I think it's probably like 100 to 200 years. That's fair. That's fair. Because I, I do not have memories of the person whose grave has been robbed. Right. <laughs> because archaeology flows purely through me and my subjective nonsense while you're trying to tell us history. <laughs> yeah, this feels very much like the trolley problem where it's like, no, it's okay as long as I'm not the one that's killing people. <laughs> All right, so the grave robbing here to survive. What happens next, Nash? So native burials were actually very specific events, and they had for specific body posturing. So it wasn't, you know, where we think of our burying our loved ones now as very this very prone position. You're on your back, your arms are like kind of over your chest. Native burials of the time were mostly on the left side, I believe, sort of in a like a fetal position, and they believed they were returning you to the womb of nature. And then there were obviously grave goods. We don't do a whole lot of grave goods in Western culture, specifically during this time. We sometimes do it now for sentimental reasons, but back then they wouldn't have. You pretty much just got a shroud and then they covered you in dirt. Can I just say that that womb thing is like very beautiful? I know it's a comedy, but like I just, you said that and I was just yeah. like, that's like, that's gorgeous. That is, wow. Yeah. That's so much better than just 
putting makeup on them and being like, kind of looks like him, right? Kind of looks like he's having fun. <laughs> I'm absolutely not doing a, a good service. There are some um, primary sources during the time that speak about it beautifully. I'm sure there are plenty of Native American historians that could do it a lot better than I can. But No, no, I wasn't knocking it. I was legitimate when I was saying that that actually sounds like very poetic and beautiful. And I actually really enjoy that. It, way more than our current trend of just like, I want them to be made up so it looks like they fell asleep at their own birthday party. <laughs> right. And I do want to reiterate here that obviously this is the worst. The part where we're decimating a culture is so clear that where it went wrong. It's just we have to be funny and that's not the right thing to be funny about. So which is why instead we're, we're doing where all the pilgrims just lost it. But this was obviously the worst part. So, I mean, to be fair, I think where it really went wrong was they were like, fuck it, we're not going to Virginia. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so they've now landed. They're not doing great. They're grave robbing for food. What happens next? So the winter is very, very long. So they survive that night, some of them. Some of them would later die of probably trench foot or just exhaustion. They do make contact with the natives, um, but it's a long winter. So a lot of the women and children actually stayed on the Mayflower until about March because the winter was so bad. They were totally unprepared. They started to try to make shelter, but people were getting sick people were dying at some points of their trying to establish a settlement there were only six people that could do things and everyone else was just too sick so what they started doing because they were terrified that they were going to be attacked was actually propping up very sick people or sometimes dead people like against the walls of their like haphazard settlement being like just hold this gun and look scary <laughs> This is, which is obviously what doctors recommend doing when you are near death is to stand up and look intimidating <laughs> with a gun. We're talking about like beautiful ways of honoring people when they're dead, but I think putting a gun in their hand and nailing their shirt to a wall actually so it looks like they're standing up might be the best <laughs> one. I think that's how I want to be remembered. We're going the other way. <laughs> you probably do look pretty frightening partially being yeah dead. yeah if you are a native walking up there and you're just like oh my god they have a skeleton army <laughs> yeah terrifying <laughs> all right so they're dying <laughs> they're making good use of their dead bodies so the fascinating part about this is they were actually dying so fast and their beliefs were so stark at this moment that their death ways are gone there's nothing. They actually started burying a lot of their sick and dying people. I guess they're dead people at that point. I was going to say, if you're burying the sick, like, I'd take offense <laughs> to it if I were the one in the hole. Yeah. It's, it's getting, like, a lot of this is very Monty Python-esque. It's like, he's gonna, he's going to <laughs> Just soon, put them in the ground. So they actually buried them in, in yeah. a mass grave on Coles Hill in Plymouth, which is sort of worse than just the regular toss a sheet over it and put it in the ground somehow. So they died really quickly. February was the worst month. Bradford sort of records it idly, being like, well, this is really shitty. At some point after they landed, though, we sort of go back and forth about Bradford at this point. At some point when they landed, his own wife fell off of the Mayflower and died, and he doesn't mention it at all. Yeah, which, I mean, I've read some of the accounts on this, and there are mixed takes as to why. <laughs> so there's there's two camps. The first camp, he was too sad to write about it. And a lot of people don't believe that one because they're like, this dude wrote down everything. He would definitely write down about his wife dying. So the other camp is she threw herself off the boat and killed herself. It was a very shameful act in Puritan culture. And he so he avoided it so he could avoid the shame or the stigma of it. There's also a third camp, which at the moment is just me, where it is America's first murder mystery. Ooh, okay. Take that, H.H. Holmes. We're, we're doing some different killer shit now. I have done zero research on this, but feel like it will be more interesting if they got in a fight and he threw overboard. So that's a possibility, listeners, because you know what? As far as you know, I'm an expert. Yeah, that's fair. You know what? It could have been him. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying it would have been so easy to do murders at the time, especially when you're the only one who writes things down. It would have been. What are they going to do about it? <laughs> and everyone is dying? Come on, this is so easy to get away with. How are you not going to kill somebody? I mean, look, okay, like his wife had just endured a very long trip to what she thought was going to be paradise. They actually left their four-year-old in Holland to keep him safe. And she got there and her husband was like doing all this weird four building shit. And she was just kind of like, I'm really bored. And this doesn't seem like cool at all. <laughs> just super not chill, you guys. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> also, can we mention here that like, 
none of the grains or anything that they brought over to plant to survive will take here. Our soil is shit. <laughs> it is. And we covered this. I love that we have enough episodes now that we have like ties to everything. We covered this in the molasses flood episode where it's like, yeah, nothing's going to grow here, guys. Maybe you just want to move south. Maybe to Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> the part place where you were supposed to go. And it is reasonably warm. So by March, about half of the 102 colonists are dead. <laughs> That's a 50% mortality rate for those of you keeping score. This is four months after they've arrived? Yeah. So uh, not doing great, guys. I, I feel like the where it went wrong, as long as it's limited to just this group, is in this area. <laughs> to give you some modern context for what it's like to have a 50% mortality rate, it's like if you and 101 of your friends got on a cruise ship to Fire Festival. <laughs> but when you got there, instead of living in tents and sucking dick for water, just half of you died. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the sucking dick for water part, all, I mean, it's not like the options here are good. And I feel like that's the point of the metaphor. No matter what, it's going to suck. Yeah. But 50% of you have to call the other 50%'s parents and explain that shit. Okay, but in this in this scenario, at least, we do have at least 100 friends. Good for us. And we got to enjoy a cruise. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you get sexual experiences and water. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so March, half the people are, are dead. Yeah. They're uh, just kind of rolling with it. I, this is the start of the turnaround, right? Yeah, so things start to get better in March. They have a tentative treaty in place with the Wampanoag leader, Massasoit. They both sort of agree that they're not going to fight each other and that they'll fight each other's enemies if they show up. It's a really tentative sort of piece, mostly just being like, we're both sort of dying. It was very enemy of my enemy. And even then, you know what these guys are going to do eventually. So it's like, oh, okay. I will say props to them for actually still being Puritans at this time. Because if I showed up to a place and half of us die... I don't believe in God anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point. And yeah, so this is where, where things start to turn around, which obviously is not what this show is about. So we've, uh, <laughs> this, this is essentially the end of where it went wrong. And then we get back to 1621, which is the Thanksgiving. And then after that, where things really get wrong, which is is obviously the decimation of cultures. Yes, all of American history. And, and that is a, you know, maybe four to five day episode. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings us to In Their Defense, where one of us has to defend all of this horribleness, the indefensible. And we're gonna, for that, we're going to throw it over to when. When? In Their Defense. Why? Okay. Andrew, I'm so glad you asked, because when they separated from the Catholic Church into the Church of England, they kept a lot of Catholic practices. And have you been to a Catholic Mass? They're awful. They are, they're so <laughs> long. They were all in Latin at this point. None of these people spoke Latin, so they were there just going through the motions. It's a lot of kneeling, a lot of standing, a lot of sitting, kneeling, standing, kneeling, sitting. It's the whole bit. You're doing it the entire time. You don't know what the words are being said. So eventually you're just like, I'm tired of all this Catholic stuff. And they're like, it's Church of England. You're like, shut up. We know. We know what this it's is. It's the same. So yeah, they're eventually like, hey, what if we all got on a two boats? Okay, fuck it. One boat, and we go over here. And you know what? That <laughs> makes sense, because they made a promise to themselves that they are not going to sit, stand, and kneel and listen to Latin. They have learned, educated men who are going to yell at them about hell, and they prefer that because it's an English, damn it. And so they're going to get on this one boat and they're going to go over there and they're going to starve to death and they're going to die of trench foot and splinters. And then they're going to be like beats Catholic mass. Am I right? And high five each other as they throw one another in a mass grave. And guess what? When they're done, when they're done, they get to take a few pot shots at people that look different at them and then have a great great dinner of things they didn't build or make and then <laughs> hundreds of years later we get to go and get angry at the dallas cowboys while they <laughs> play whatever goddamn terrible garbage team they set up because it's basically a harlem globetrotters match every fucking year when they try to be like who can cowboys beat this year and guess what the cowboys still fail at it most of the time because they have not been a good franchise <laughs> since the 90s so to recap catholic mass at this time was bullshit mass graves were kind of fun when you think about it you get to dig a hole and then at the end of it you get to yell at the <laughs> dallas cowboys and jerry 
fucking Jones, who's a terrible owner. And I hope, I hope, I hope that that franchise will just get its shit together or shut the fuck up and stop calling itself America's team. You're not America's team. You're Texas's team. America's team will be somebody who wins occasionally and then lies about winning a lot. And that is my defense <laughs> of this horrible event. I'm going to be honest here. I, I was a little on the fence with they came to America to escape mass. Because it's like, well, they had Holland. I mean, you were right. I actually have been to a Catholic mass and it was a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Especially as a Jew where I'm like, I mean, you guys know this isn't true, right? You can't say that either. They don't like that at all. Oh, come on. Yours, yours is not that much more true. We took all the pageantry <laughs> from you guys. <laughs> I know, but I mean, look, I'm cultural anyway. I'm fine with that. I think the difference is I'm not offended when, when they say it's like, you know, this isn't true. Oh, I'm, I'm culturally Catholic. I don't care. Don't, don't go away. But... Yeah, <laughs> but I was on board at when's one. I love how Maddie gets the Dallas Cowboys and two get to dig a hole. I was not expecting that argument, but you know what? I'll get on board for it. And you get buried with all your friends. Some of those people were probably married. That's romantic. <laughs> we did forget the point that there was heavy rain that like years and years later, it caused a mudslide where bones just like came on down. <laughs> so a fun fact about that, actually, Massachusetts has no standard for disarticulated remains. That is a fun fact. Right? Isn't it fun? <laughs> a lot of states don't. So when they find a bunch of bones that become categorized as historical they just rebury them in a different hole so that's what they did those bones are still there just gather up the bones and plant them <laughs> well, i mean yeah they gotta do something with it honestly i was really hoping for a like basically maritime law here well i found the bones they're mine now <laughs> they just reburied but... <laughs> them in a different hole on the same they hole. just reburied them my favorite part of this was that was not said sarcastically nash enjoyed that so much that was a fun fact that See, was a I fun have... fact <laughs> look look this all started when they desecrated a grave and years and years later we desecrated their grave once again circle of life circle of life circle. it's all sunrise sunset <laughs> that is a beautiful summation we're not going to do better than that i feel like that covers pretty much the, <laughs> the disturbing history of thanksgiving where please know that what you are celebrating now is whatever you want it to be None of this is tied to anything. If you want to do something for Thanksgiving, yeah, go go have a turkey. There is plenty to be mad about all the time, and you can do it on Thanksgiving, too. We won't take nothing from you. Just remember, Thanksgiving is basically whatever you want it to be because the history here is so messed up. You might not be celebrating with your family, but you can still eat a lot of food and once again get so fucking mad at the Dallas Cowboys. I swear to Christ. <laughs> You know what's funny? In William Bradford's later years um, in of Plymouth Plantation, he actually writes about how much he hates the Dallas <laughs> I, I mean, I hate that we accused him of killing his wife, but I love his made-up references to the Dallas Cowboys. So. <laughs> well, that will absolutely do it for us because we cannot top that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. Nash, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, guys, we'll be back next week. We'll hope you'll join us then. When? We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.